today with Justin Cunningham mm. from Shift Your Results. We are going to be talking around what the package, the bundle that he's got that is available, free to download, guys. What really caught my eye with that um, was the business quiz where you're finding out basically what's standing in your way. So first of all, Justin, thank you very much for um, coming on. Delving straight in, tell us more about this per- these personality types and and what can be standing in their way and, and, and why they why people fit into these different categories. First off, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. The reason why I developed this quiz was because I kept seeing these kind of four personality sort of archetypes come up with business owners. What I had discovered was uh, being trained in a number of different behavioral modalities is that, you know, beliefs form behaviors and behaviors form outcomes. And most people actually know how to succeed. Like they they know how to make a million dollars. They've read all the books. They've done all the trainings. They've done all that. And so you go, well, then why haven't you? And it's clearly something outside of our understanding. Now, beliefs are things that are happening sort of under the surface. They're hidden. They're not something that you're consciously aware of. And we have these beliefs that essentially stop us with this sort of stuff that's going on under the surface and these four business owner types are Mm -hmm. best kept secret the overwhelmed underachiever the underpaid overachiever and the high standard driver now these personality types it's um it's quite interesting because most of us will probably find kind of when we hear those words we'll probably go oh yeah i'm a little bit of that oh i'm a little bit of that you're like, for me, I'm a little bit of best keep secret and high standard driver. And what that means is, is that, yeah, sure, I might have lots of genius. And again, this is why I'm addressing it and getting out there and being more public with my speaking, which is my gift and flow anyway. But I hadn't been doing it. You know, I'd been a typical sort of, I'm a quite a creative driven person. I had my head down, create, 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 create. But nobody knows you exist. <laughs> So again, a lot of us that are talented and gifted, we might look around at the industry and see people that are, we don't feel are as talented or as good as us. And we go, how is that guy or that woman doing X, Y, Z results and not me? It's like, well, it's because people know they exist. (laughs) It's not. And they're persistent and consistent, you know, and and that was another thing that I noticed with success is that I would, as an artist and a creative I would like to believe that the most talented person earns the most money. That is not true. It is if you can be persistent and consistent, then inherently those people win more than any others. Now, the high standard driver is the opposite. The high standard driver has high standards, clearly. And as a result of that, they're quite hard on themselves. And internally, they're pretty hard on everybody else as well. So they lack patience. So they'll pay the money, they'll go, well, hey, well, I want an XYZ result and here's the money. Oh, it didn't work, you know. I spent money on Facebook ads, for example. Okay, and oh, Facebook ads didn't work for me. When you say Facebook ads didn't work, what do you mean? Well, I didn't get XYZ. Yeah, I understand that, but what part didn't work? Now, they haven't stopped to look at how they could have improved. And a classic one would be if you have a team member and they go, well, that team member is not delivering. Okay, so what part are you playing in them not being able to deliver? It's so easy to point the finger and go, them. If I was doing it, it'd be be perfect. (laughs) It'd be this, it'd be that. But of course, what does that do? That keeps you small, time poor, overwhelmed and underpaid. You see, you might have all the skills, but you simply don't have the resources and the bandwidth. 
and I am a classic. In New Zealand, you know, there's a really big sort of ethos around do-it-yourself is somehow the best thing since sliced bread. And as we know, when you start out in business, you're, you're bootstrapping, you know, you, you, you're operating off the smell of an oily rag and trying to get through to the next thing. And then you get to start up and then you go, okay, I've got some runs on the board. I can kind of afford them surviving better now. And then we go into growth. The problem is if you take that bootstrap DIY mentality into the next yeah. stage, yeah. you'll cripple yourself. And that is difficult because there's really nobody out there kind of saying, well, I know that you've been smart and lean in the past and that worked for you, but that doesn't mean it's the only way for success mm. to happen. And this is what I've discovered. Most people, if they've got evidence of one way of doing something, will not seek a second yeah, way. That makes sense. They will just go, this is the truth. And then some bold hairdresser comes along and goes, well, I've got an idea for you. Would you mind? And they go, well, I don't know. And then they get a new haircut and they go, wow, I look amazing. And you go, yeah. And it seems like, and I know that in the brain, we have a thing called mirror neurons, which is designed to protect us, right? It's that tribal fight or flight thing. It's seeking familiarity. And so when someone comes in and says, I think I've got a better way, what that means is, I've got something that you need to change. That also means you have to change. And that's when it yeah. becomes a threat. That's why people go out, they learn all these things, and then they don't execute, because if they had to execute, they'd have to become someone yeah, different. That makes sense. And that's a threat to my, to my yeah. safety. Yeah. So, you know, on an unconscious level. And so, yeah, so I just keep coming across this stuff. And then the other side of it was just, you know, my whole thing is about results hacks. Like, how do I get you there faster? Because quite honestly, most people are working way harder than they need to because only, you know, 5 to 20% of what they're doing is working anyway. The personality-wise, you've got the, mm. the sort of um, overwhelmed underachiever. What about the... Underpaid overachiever. There's an overwhelmed underachiever. underachiever. Yeah, that's it. So again, an overwhelmed underachiever also struggles from this idea of, I've got to keep delivering. Yeah, okay. So for example, we've all heard the saying, you know, the customer comes first. And then what's happened now is since things like Tony Shea at Zappos and various other thought leaders come out and said, no, the team comes first. Because yeah. if you don't look after the team, you're yeah. dead in the water. So what tends to happen is, is that people that are kind of going around and see the number one limiting belief in sales is need for approval. 70% of people suffer from it. So if you're constantly pandering to make sure everybody is looked after, the last person you're looking after yeah. is yourself. There's some sort of an understanding in your unconscious mind. One day everyone's going to recognize how hard I'm working for them. <laughs> and it doesn't happen. No, no, no. You know, when you can unpack that stuff, you know, then you can kind of see I'm not setting up boundaries, like healthy boundaries, how I work, why I work, what I do, what I don't do. Like what's your don't do list? Everyone's got a to-do list. What's your don't do list? I love those sort of counterintuitive tools because they really address what's yeah. healthy. Yeah. Again, there's a lot of mythology out there about things like just say yes and figure it out. You know what that means? That means anxiety. That means overwhelm. That means hustle. That means no sleep. That means, sure, it might be pseudo exciting, 
but there's no guarantees of that. And whilst I am somebody who tends to put myself on the path of opportunity, even if I'm not completely prepared, what I've found out with, say, things like the phrase, good luck, people say, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. That is complete <laughs> rubbish. How, when you have an opportunity and it comes your way, are you saying that I've always been prepared and that's why it was luck? Like, I don't even understand how that saying came about. What I've discovered is when passion meets opportunity, ah, because your passion, as we know as business owners, if that's not there and things get tough and you need to be unreasonable, you're going to really, really struggle because the entrepreneurial journey is unreasonable. So you need to be unreasonable. And if that passion's not burning, you know, you've got a real struggle. And I suffered with this because I'll be honest with you, I was competent in lots of things. There were lots of elements of business that I was able to do, but I dreaded it. You know, like I've learned all the technical aspects of doing this business. But I can honestly say 70% of it I would give away in a heartbeat. <laughs> and, but it was because I was one of those archetypes. I was thinking I'm being smart, knowing how to do all this, I'll make more margin. But then I limit my ability yeah. in terms of capacity. And again, people don't know their numbers, and because they don't know their numbers, they're at the effect of the implications. I, of I'm a big fan of, of numbers. I, I would, I, you know, if you've got a grasp of your numbers, I'm, I'm a big fan of when people have got decent accountants and they can, you're kind of then doing it from sort of two, two pronged attack on it because your accountant can get such an overview of your business. It doesn't, when you strip it all away, it, it's about the numbers. We have so many people come to us both in the agency and for sales training who they don't know the numbers. They don't know what's converting at what. So they don't know where they're at. Um, and, and, you know, it can result in, we've had people who've come to us where we've discovered that they've been making a loss on, on their sales and they haven't even realised it. It was quite a considerable loss. And oh, I was yeah. like, how are we not noticing this? But it's not having that handle on it. I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Huge fan of numbers. It's one thing to be unreasonable. It's another thing to be a blind <laughs> optimist. And that's kind of what I think you're inferring, you know, because you get to this point where, oh, it's, it's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. I go... Yeah. based on what like can you show me some trends or numbers or something that you can manage because none of that's actually within your circle of influence that sort of statement is not within your circle of influence no. and as you and i both know you know there's only three ways you can grow sales you know growing customers increasing average sale or increasing frequency of sale and the easiest one by far is increasing yeah. your average sale yeah. and the most costly and difficult is acquisition and yet 90% of people are yeah. focused on acquisition and it's nuts like because it's actually you're, you're actually picking torture <laughs> <laughs> you know like you're choosing well, well, pain I, you know I, I kind of, of liken sales to dating I'm always like you know the sales process getting to know somebody new and it's like you know how many people say oh you know if I broke up with so and so I wouldn't bother it's just way too much effort and it's like but you're actually going through that dating process with every new client you take on, they're unknown. You don't know what they're going to be like. And particularly if you're working with them from a service point of view, you, you, you're, it's an unknown. Um, whereas, you know, you have a list of people, you have a group of people who bought from you before. It's nurturing that. It's giving that audience what they want, isn't it? Well, it's also the difference between, you know, transactional selling and consultative selling. Like, 
if you're trying to solve a problem, then you're going to have a long yep. relationship. If you're trying to make a sale, you're going to have a short relationship. Yeah. So, for example, my sales methodology is called connect and solve, not attract and convert. And I have to admit, full, full disclosure, I had a brand called attract and convert. And the more I looked at it, the more I went, is that actually what I want to do? <laughs> I went, no. First off, my natural skill set is I'm a really good communicator and connector. And I'm trying to solve things. That's been my gift since day dot. I can look at something, synthesize it, and solve it really quickly. And, you know, things that have been really, people have been struggling with for a long time. But what I also realized after working with New Zealand's leading sales process company, where we were dealing with billion dollar companies, was when you think like that, the size of your sale goes through the roof. And sometimes you don't have the services or the products to offer that person. But if you advocate a solution orientated, you know, oh, hey, I know a guy that can do this and do that and do the other thing, you engender yourself, you, that they, they will think, you know, man, you're a rock star. B, you can set up supplier arrangements where you get paid profit from a referral, which means it's profit no with no extra work. And again, you become a thought leader in your space and, and referrals are super easy because people go, if you want a guy you can trust that's really going to rock this solution for you, then this is the dude, you know. And that is something that a lot of people kind of get lost in because they're desperate yeah. to get the cash in. So there's so many little tweaks you can do to, you know, really crush it. But a lot of salespeople, are, and again, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit here, but most of the salespeople that I've come across that really enjoy sales they're quite driven by the thrill, you know, the hunt and the, like, like, yeah, getting it across yeah, the line. Like, yeah, I won, I rocked it. Woo! Yeah. And then they want the next thing, right? So the last thing they're thinking about is nurturing, which is a farming thing. And as we know in salespeople, you've got hunters yeah. and you've got farmers. And the farmers struggle to close and the closers struggle to, <laughs> to nurture. And so again, you've got a kind of, work out systems and processes and batching sort of behaviors that circumvent that so you don't have to like change who you are because you're not going to by the way no. you're not going to change it doesn't matter that some smart cookie comes along and says you know what you need to do it's like i'm not going to change yeah i i i just think that that whole idea of you know again follow this way of doing things and you'll win it's just rubbish you've got to honor who you are where your flow is and when you show up on your flow, everything's easy. And because it's easy, yeah. it's fun. And for most of us, we're operating off a, you know, a near empty fuel tank half the time, trying to get the hustle done. And you know, whereas when we get into these more and more flow states in our business, we just end up crushing it. From your point of view, like if somebody really doesn't, you know, it's not their flow, sales isn't their thing. Would you just be like, just outsource? Would you be like, well, what element, you know, do you believe there's an element of sales that people? Well, you see, that's like? a story, right? Yeah. That's a story. What you just mm -hmm. said is a story. I don't like sales. When you say you don't like sales, what do you mean by that? Um, well, if I'm to roll, what, what? What they really mean is I don't want to be judged. Yeah. Majority of people that don't like sales have got some sort of a, a belief that it's scary, confrontational, yeah. manipulative, or I'm going to be judged. 
Now those are all indicative of a past experience. So when I work with someone around that sort of stuff, they say I don't like sales. I says, but you want to change the world though, right? And they go, yeah. And I says, so you understand that every conversation is a sale of some description. And they go, oh, well, I never really thought about it like that. It says, yeah, every conversation is a conversation of value. So you've got a point, I've got a point, you've got a point, I've got a point, then eventually you go, oh, actually, no, I agree with what you said. So my value suddenly is at a higher level. That's a sale. That's all sales is. (laughs) You know, once I have met all of your needs or even gone past your needs and shown you a whole new bright future, you're like, okay, I surrender. That is what I want. That rocks. Let's do this. <laughs> do you know how many people are like actively on social media and don't ask any questions? Mm. How on earth can you start a conversation without a question? Like I'm not going to, you know, I've got a quote from Mahatma Gandhi from blah, blah, blah. It's like, who cares? <laughs> I'm interested in following you. Like, I don't, I don't think I can buy sales training off Mahatma Gandhi, <laughs> just to be honest. <laughs> I think, you know, can you tell me what your quote is? And also, can you say something that would, would make me want to have a conversation with you? Because there's only two metrics you need to focus on. Connections and conversations. You know, that's all you've got to do. And if you get better at the conversations, which yeah. is the quality of your questions, which all salespeople know, you win. But people are following this thing and that thing and the other thing. And I'm <laughs> just focus on what and matters. And how long, when you get clients to do that, because I get it a lot with people that it's the new shiny thing. And, and I think people are waiting, you know, they're trying to find mm. that. And maybe it's because they're, they're, they're working outside of their natural flow, but they're looking for that easy fix, that quick fix. And so it's like, oh, it's the new shiny thing. And then so-and-so is selling this and this is the new shiny thing. So, you know, what's your recommendation to people when you say, you know, follow this and it will and it will work what, what sort of times because then i presume they push you well they do me push you for a time scale what's an, you know what's your response to that first off what you're talking about is what i call the mafia mm-hmm. solution it's like you know i don't care how you do it just take care of the money okay <laughs> you know it's like just, you know somehow you've got a magic wand or an assassin that can just end yeah. your problems and everything's sweet you know, and it's like, that's not how the world works. I'm a guide helping you become better. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a doctor operating on your body. Like that, no, 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 no. That's not my deal. You've got to be very clear about your boundaries mm-hmm. with those sorts of people. Because again, there's clearly a belief yeah. going on. You know, first off, I find there's a lot of cynicism in the market because there's so many options. It's so overwhelming. A lot of particularly in the marketing space that I've found, uh, they're not honest. They will say stuff like, if you do this marketing thing, your sales will go through the roof. Okay, a a marketing function delivers a sales opportunity, not a sales outcome. My system's called smarketing, which means that you have a sales funnel, which is actually a marketing process. It's a qualified lead process, right? And then it goes into a sales process. Now, if those two things aren't connected, you, you've got a problem. And the other thing is, is that if you give somebody sales training, you go, well, if you're going to give somebody sales training, you have to show them or at least give them guidance on how to create qualified leads consistently. Because otherwise, knowing how to sell is worthless. 
you know, there's a lot, again, mythology, misnomers about how this thing really works. And so what I've discovered is give them less and less and less to do, but make sure whatever it is that they have to do that it's transformative, not transactional. You have to fall down. You know, I tell my clients, I want you to fail more this week than last week. And they go, what do you mean? I says, because every time you fail, you tried something. You see, if you, and that short circuits the brain, right? Because in the brain, the brain goes, well, I don't want to fail. I go, I know you don't want to fail, but I'm giving you permission to fail as many times as you can in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, or the month, and come back and tell me how many times you did it. Because I guarantee they're going to learn and get more results from having that attitude than going, I've got to do it right, I've got to do it right, I've got to do it right. And, and, and your version of right <laughs> is not your ideal client's version of right. And yeah, you're just better getting mm. something out there, imperfect action, and then you know molding it from there. Coming to people with the finished article, um, you're then kind of trying to find the person who wants that finished article is, you know, have come with something very basic and you can evolve that based on the feedback that you're getting um, would be, you know, what I'd always encourage people to do. But thank you very much, Justin. It has been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll see yeah, you, you too. Yeah, you too.